Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Welcome to this week's Countryside Podcast here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and Simon Clark. And, well, pig farming uh, we'll be talking to in the programme. Uh, Alan Teer, one of the big pig farmers on the Isle of Man, also Sean Dean from the, the south of the island. Uh, and I was finding out from Alan about just about the, the trials and tribulations of and the the tape that's uh, around keeping pigs, Kiri, you'll know that yourself, won't you? Yeah. Not not through keeping them, but there's a lot of um, a lot more sort of stringent things in the pig world, isn't there? Yeah, since the foot and mouth episode, there's been a lot more red tape put around the pigs, and you have to have certain licenses, and there's a lot of welfare issues and biosecurity measures that go with it, and it's just very little return for the amount of work that goes into these pig farms here on the Isle of Man, the costs of import and feed, and the intensity of actually producing the, the meat itself. It's... Uh, yeah, it's a very hard industry to be in. It is, and of course, um, we're trying to keep local with our milk and cheeses and uh, poultry and everything we can, beef here and lamb on the Isle of Man. But uh, the, the pig industry does seem to be a tough one for people to, to go into and stay into, doesn't it? Yeah, there seems to be great competition from the imported pork, and it's just really hard to compete against it. So we're down to only a couple of pig producers here on the island, and in years to come, I don't know whether we'll have any. No, no. But uh, we'll, find out, yeah, we'll be finding out from Alan, uh, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And also, Jerby Church, you ever been in it? No, never. Right. Fantastic well, building, I, though. Yeah, I grew up in Jerby, of course, as you know, and it's been part of my life. Uh, you can see it from our house, as plain as can be, and you can see it from loads of different um vantage spots around the Isle of Man and it's just something so close to my heart and there's an exhibition on at the moment in there and uh, Sandra Kerrison uh, from the Friends of the Jerby Church showed me around the exhibition and also uh, told me a little bit more about the history obviously it's 200 years old I think even just that church that's there now history with the Vikings the the fishing industry that's what it's to do with the countryside and of course the farming industry and the RAF that were out there as well but the church has certainly brought the country folk together once a week, really, didn't it? And, you know, it is a, gave a community life to everybody. Yeah, things have changed a little bit in this day and age, I suppose. But um, still people doing some knitting, isn't there? Not oh, just yes. indoors. <laughs> yes, the, yeah. Manx Yarnies are heading off to the Murick Park for the Worldwide Knit Day. And, uh, yeah, crochet, felt, knitting. It's nice to see an old traditional method being brought back to life, really. It's a very fashionable thing to be involved in at the minute. Yeah, but usually in the comfort of an armchair or a rocking chair. True. But this is a little bit different uh, and a good idea in a way because, uh, you know, trying to get people that you don't have to be stuck indoors to do it. You can do it as an ex- outside activity and enjoy the countryside as well. Well, that's it. Out in the fresh air, you can't beat it really, can no. you? Well, that's what's going to be in this week's Countryside, so sit back and enjoy. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. There's quite a few dairy farmers, meat producers, poultry producers, and also sheep producers for the local trade here on the Isle of Man. Not so many involved in the pig trade, though. Uh, Sean Dean from the south of the island, and also Alan Teer from Balakelly and Ballastine up the north of the Isle of Man. To find out how things were in the pig trade on the island, I went along to Balakelly and spoke to Alan. We'd like to try and produce 30 pigs a week, every week, all year. And we've been doing that for quite a long time now. I think regular production has been going on here for the last, it's got to be four or five years. 
but we've really stepped at what we're doing and got organised and produced a damn good product to go on to the Manx market in the form of a good bacon pig. The logistics of this, first of all, I mean, how long have you had them? Oh, there's always been pigs here, but like I say, it's only the last four or five years we've really been organised with it and been doing it the way that we should with good genetics and good feed, producing a good product at the end of it. You've had to spend a lot of outgoing, I think, changing things around, though, to, to get big into the pigs, did you? It's been done in stages. We started, as you can see here, with them five bays of the shed before we went this way and took the other five bays of the shed and then decided the lean-to on the side of it and the other five bays. So here we can take pigs at 21 days of age, start them in them two pens. They're split, balls from gilts. They get a wet feed to start off with, so they're not coming off a sow, you know, that's been giving it milk to all of a sudden have to go on to a dry feed. Them mixers are designed to put a measured amount of water with a measured amount of baked creep pellet. They'll get that for a week, then they go into a second diet of a different pellet for a fortnight before we then start to introduce dry meal in the form of wheat, barley, soya, a mineral, and one or two other little minerals mixed in to really kick into the digestive system. You can wean 60 to 80 at a time, little piglets, sometimes more if you branch into another pen. Boars and gilts are kept separate and they'll work their way around the shed and as they work their way around the shed, they're split from big batches into small batches all the way around the shed. So they'll come in at anything from seven to nine kilos at 21 to 28 days of age. And they'll leave, some of the latest ones will leave at four months of age as a bacon pig at 110 kilos. Wow. But when you look around and see as many in here as there is. There's never less in here than about 600. Wow. And we've never had more in here, I think, than about 900, 950. I suppose pigs uh, off the farm, large farm, farm animals, I, I'd more class them in the, in the rabbit side of it because they're, they're quite good at breeding, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they can tend to accumulate. <laughs> well, the life cycle is, if a gilt is kept at a year of age, she can have her first pigs. Once we get her up to 170 kilos, she can be brought into the breeding system. What happens is she's kept as a group, so there'll be 10 to 14 in a group. Are they better in groups? Pigs love company, yeah. pigs love company. So um, they're kept as a, as a breeding group. We'll look out for the first signs of heat. And as they're hit, on heat, they're AI'd. And then within 115 to 118 days, she will produce piglets. She'll have her first litter. Then they're kept on their mother suckling for 21 days or 28 days, depending on when we wean last and the space we have in the shed. So after 21 to 28 days, she's weaned. And then within, well, it's average about seven to 10 days at the latest she'll come back on heat so she is served again by natural or ai and then within another 115 to 108 days she'll have another litter how many can they have i mean they've got a few oh, uh, teats on them i'd love to tell you that everyone has 12 and they keep 12 and we <laughs> wean 12 and then 12 come out the other end of the shed it's not mortality can go up and down throughout the year they're not all winners at all simon we've had everything from two to well, we have had one at 22 wow. but all i want all I ask for is 12 pigs on a sow that has 14 teats, born on their own, survive, make it through. But I think really, if we're having a bad run of it, we'll wean eight, we'll wean eight. If we're having a good run of it, we'll wean 12 or 13, average. So where's your meat going? When ours get to 105 to 110 kilos, they're a good bacon pig. They'll go up to the meat plant and the meat plant will process them into primals, into cuts for Andreas Meats, 
and ours all goes back to just back down to the village there where it's processed into some of the finest sausage and bacon you will ever taste. <laughs> we hear about um, the farmers with the with the milk prices, the, the beef prices, the lamb prices. Um, what's the situation with the pig side of it? At the best we were, we were at 172 a kilo. But then we've gone all the way down to 120, sorry, to one. Yeah, we did go down to 129 for a, for a week or two. And then we went back to 129 where it steadied out. We're not near our break even. It's a sad state of affairs for something that is bred so well on the Isle of Man and is fed so well on the Isle of Man using a lot of Manx ingredients. I mean, we have hundreds of tons of our own feed, but we end up buying hundreds of tons of everybody else's as well. What, what price do you get now? Uh, we've gone up to 145, but we need to be thinking around that 170. If you were to give me 170 a kilo, uh, it would keep me happy, but it wouldn't give you any guarantees. If you were to give me two pound a kilo, I'd say how many do you want? And I'd be forging ahead. Is demand poor then? Demand is fantastic. Everybody wants Manx pork. But it's not always possible to get it. The amount of times you'll just, you, you, you do a bit of a recce, you'll be in a butcher's shop and you'll, somebody will come in, can I have, um, can I have a leg of Manx pork? Oh, sorry, couldn't get any, couldn't get any Manx today. Couldn't get any Manx this week. Or yeah, it's in You've got gone. so many here. Yeah, all they have to do is come down and ask for a few more. I could give them some more, but I can't keep doing that for less than my cost of production. I can't. So everybody's hanging around waiting for somebody else to pay a bit more for that money to then travel through that account to come back to the farmer but it isn't coming back. Is there a lot getting imported then? But how is that happening if there's a demand for Manx meat? That's a good question. No, um, cheap imports will come in, but if you'll actually look at the price per kilo, it's not that much cheaper by the time it hits the shelf. A few pence extra to buy Manx, it goes a heck of a lot further. Al Tia there from Balakelly in Andrus telling us the situation uh, that pig farmers are facing at the moment and same old story Kiri just uh, really not getting enough back to, to cover the cost of, of what they're trying to do and of course a lot of money being spent on, on Alan's farm when he was diversifying into that area you know to, to change the sheds and you know set up for the pigs and well it's a bit of a struggle at the moment so looking for for different ways isn't it it's always the case yeah it's the mass import from other countries it's a lot cheaper than what we can produce it for here feed costs are a lot less and also there's a lot of welfare standards with pigs that you have to have certain licenses to keep them now and a lot of red tape generally yeah, have you had any on your farm in the, over the years? No, we've never kept pigs. It's always something that, you know, you admire the amount of work that goes into and, and they're a lovely animal, clean, tidy animal. But uh, no, we've never had any. Oh, and it's funny when you go around there and you see it's just just is like mayhem when they're all when they're feeding them squealing away and getting there but but you know yeah, I suppose you grow to like them isn't it and oh they're real characters yeah. aren't they they can be just as friendly as any other animal and, and certainly you see a lot of um, small holders they tend to keep pigs and they ruffle around and they churn up the fields something unbelievable but uh, on a bigger scale like Alan's a lot of work goes into it for very little return yeah, it is and we had a couple of pigs and Malagarrigan many years ago when my dad was there and I remember two of them being up in the shed up the up the hackett there, the old round beach stone one. We come in the moor and, and the wall half the wall was gone <laughs> and half the shed was falling down. They oh, rooted the it. stones out. They're so, terribly strong animals, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, we live we lived and learnt for them. But you uh, 
Did you don the knitting needles at this event you were at? A group called the Manx Yarnies have took part in the World Knit Day held in the Moorig Park there. And what a great turnout. It seems to be all the rage these days. Yeah, because people will be wondering, what's it got to do with the countryside? But this is a fairly unique event because uh, everyone's been doing it outside. So it's not only are, are they doing one of their pastimes, uh, which they would normally probably do while watching Coronation Street. Now they can do it in in the grace of the outside and the, the surrounding area, which uh, I suppose adds to the beauty. Well, this is it. They take the knitting down the high streets now and they um, go yarn bombing, decorating some of the towns. Yarn bombing? <laughs> <laughs> you use the brightly coloured wool and decorate the tree trunks and the barriers and make some of the less attractive areas more pretty. And also once knitting was the way, way of life, you know, making the jumpers and the hats for the winter. And it's nice to see some of the old traditional um, hobbies or trades coming back to life. Did you uh, have a go when you were there? No, but I certainly will have a go, though. It looked really interesting. And some of the colours now are absolutely beautiful and, and some of the patterns as well. You can make anything just about. So I popped along to the Murrig Park to see what it was all about. So Bernadette, a lovely day here in Murrig Park for a very special occasion too. Yes, we're here for um, the Manx Yarnies meet-up for the Worldwide Knitting Public Day. This is our fourth year having the event um, where we gather various knitters, crocheters, sometimes spinners... Anyone really who wants to come along and share their craft and enjoy the sunshine and some good company. But today is absolutely chaos here in the park. There's families, <laughs> there's children and there's lots of youngsters taking part in this. Yes, yeah, it's nice to see some younger people who aren't afraid to have a go at crocheting. Tia was here before, she's only in primary school and she's a lovely little girl and she was able to crochet almost as good as me. So. <laughs> <laughs> and do you go into schools to teach some of these children? No, I don't teach children as such. I will teach groups such as the WI. Um, I've helped church groups. I've done workshops at Sweet Ginger and Ramsey, usually just knitting and crocheting, sometimes felting as well, but mainly knitting and crocheting. And the Manx Yarnies, was that set up by yourself or is it a group of people? It was set up by a lady called Katie Jeffries, who's normally here. She's unfortunately engaged today, but she set it up after moving to the island a few years ago, probably about five years ago maybe, and she wanted to bring together knitters who like herself and congregate socially and um, she set the Manx Yarnies group up and we're about 300 people strong now. So, And it's still growing obviously because people are coming and going here today. Yes absolutely, yeah. people come and go all the time. We have very experienced members, we have newbies, we have everyone in between. We're all happy to share our skills and help each other out and um, we share inspiration as well on our Facebook group. If we post pictures of what we've made, we talk about techniques we want to learn or specific brands of wool that we like and don't like. So it's a, it's a real um, variety and social gathering and lots of different aspects for different people but it's also very therapeutic as well you know it's, it's proven to help people with illnesses and to relax yes absolutely it's very relaxing I suffer with chronic pain so I found it a great relief of when you're being stuck at home and you haven't got anything to do it gives you a sense of purpose and it's nice to make stuff and feel a sense of achievement as well and it's not terribly difficult and you can make it as complicated or as easy as you want to it doesn't have to be sweaters and fancy blankets it can be scarves hats socks anything really and do you tend to use manx wool is, is this something you can get hold of uh, manx wool's been a bit of a challenge actually because up until recently any manx lockton wool for example we've had to buy it online and um, the, the last couple of years the manx museum has started stocking it However, I'm not a fan of the locked and I find it a little bit coarse. Really? Um, it's nice for blankets and hard-wearing stuff, but yeah. I wouldn't be able to wear a jumper. It's, very, it's quite a coarse wool, I think, so I prefer things like merino and merino blended wool, which tends to be from um, usually UK suppliers or from New Zealand. So is there anywhere on the island you can buy fleeces for people at start now, or is there a lot of hard work developing from, from the sheep to fleece to washing and spinning and weaving? Oh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> the... Um, 
yeah, I do sometimes spin my own wool and I wanted to see the process rather than just buying a bag of fleece off the internet. I went from sheep to, to spinning and it's just, it took three days to wash a single fleece and you have to have two or three clear days of weather, which is not always guaranteed in no. the Isle of Man. So you get a good weekend, you spend your whole day sorting a fleece in the, in the yard and it's, it's hard because it smells foul. Your house smells like a farm and it's just, it's, it's a lot of hard work. So there's not a lot of, it's not an easy thing to do no. to sort and wash. It's a big job. But yeah, you have to try at least once, I think. Absolutely. And then you appreciate where wool comes from, you see. So. And also, recently you see lots of photographs, especially on the internet, of yarn bombing. Yeah. Now, what is that all about? It sounds terrible with the word bombing in it, I think. It's a kind of socially... It's like an activist type thing, I guess, but it's a peaceful activism. Um, normally, it's just to make a se- uh, town centre look pretty, perhaps, just for a bit of fun. Some people use it as a way to make a statement... In the UK, when the Olympics were on, people were yarn bombing bridges with themed characters, you know, miniature characters that were knit in sports wow. personalities or somebody was surfing or, you know, um, playing football, little, little models on bridges and things. People in America use it as a, the current thing with Orlando with the shooting, unfortunately. People are gathering now and they're just knitting together as a community, but they're, they're making donations towards a fund. Groups in Chicago are knitting and crocheting firearms, which will be used in a a form of yarn bombing or a, an artistic display later this year. So it's, it's really whatever you want yeah. it to be. And we've just decorated the, the park entrance here just briefly. There's not much stuff there, but it's just to make, draw attention to the fact of what we're doing, um, just sitting here and knitting socially and having a bit of fun. Do you have any workshops or how do people get in touch with you? Um, at the moment, I'm not running any workshops. There are people around the island doing various things. At uh, Tholty Will has got one. I think it's Yarn Granny, I think she's called. I'm not sure exactly. The Yarny Granny of Granny Yarny. Um, Sweet Ginger aren't doing at the moment but there are some and um, I'm looking at doing some at Mother Tees later on this year I will do some privately with various groups if they want to get in touch with me on Facebook um, either through the Manx Yarnies page or if they find me on Facebook under Bernadette Bevan and um, they can message me and get in touch that way the WI will sometimes host workshops and bring people in and I'll go in and sometimes help out with that it's just if anyone is particularly interested in learning something new regarding to wool it doesn't have to just be knitting it's always worth giving one of us a shout on the group and we'll find someone who can lend a hand and uh, teach them some new skills hopefully absolutely because these skills were absolutely essential to life you know making jumpers for the staff especially on the farms you know keeping blankets for the children it's nice to see it coming back you know it seems more fashionable now it is it's very trendy and you see one famous person doing it and suddenly everyone wants to do it and that kind of makes it cool and it brings us all out from behind our 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 living room doors and you know making it more socially acceptable i will sometimes crochet on the bus and i do get funny comments from people (laughs) and people looking at me or somebody coming up patting me on the shoulder saying oh that's lovely well done um so it's kind of nice to do it publicly Um, yeah. Um, but it is, it's, very, it's becoming more and more fashionable and it's obvious as well because the shops are stocking a much wider range of, of yeah. wools and they're more readily available. Like 10 years ago you had to go online to buy something yeah. decent but we've got a great yeah. shop in Ramsey, we've got loads of other ones around the island selling a great range of products. So it's obviously, um, it's fashionable, it's healthy and it's yeah. great fun to do. Yeah, and you're outdoor today on a beautiful day so what Absolutely. better excuse? And in the sunshine there's nothing better than sitting, having a picnic and knitting with your friends. Absolutely. Well thank you very much Bernadette. I must admit uh, we do get a varied selection on countryside and uh, it must have been quite a a spectacle seeing people knitting out in the grounds of the the beautiful uh, scenery around the Murick Park. It's something very different but it's nice to see people getting out in the countryside or you know out in the green space that we have and and enjoying it with old traditional hobbies and 
and trades. It's really good. Yeah. Well, it must have been. I thought you'd have come in today with a with a knitted England scarf or something. Oh, or a hang Manx on. Scarf. <laughs> Maybe a Manx one. <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. One of the most notable buildings in the north of the Isle of Man is the outline of Jerby Church. You can see it from many, many different areas off the island. Well, I went along to have a look at an exhibition that's been held there and also to find out a little bit more into its history. Sandra Kerrison was there to tell me more from the Friends of the Jerby Church Committee. The building needs a lot of money spending on it. We probably think it'll be well over £100,000. But what we want to do, first of all, is put in central heating, oil-fired central heating, because this will not only make it more usable in the winter months, but uh, it'll also dry out the building. And so then we can start doing the the renovation work after that. What about the services? There was rumours that the church was closed completely not true? Well, we still have a monthly service on the third Sunday of the month. This will continue, we think, until uh, we get a lease from the diocese for the church, and then we'll just be allowed to have about six services a year for special occasions. It'll become a festival church, which means that we'll have services such as Easter and Remembrance and Civic Service and maybe a St. Patrick's Day service because that's the, the church's St. Patrick's. The other months we'll have exhibitions as usual in the summer and other events. So to most people it'll just remain the same. They won't notice any difference but what we are trying to do at the moment is to show the importance not just of the building as a landmark, as an iconic landmark from air and land and sea, but also because the site is, is an ancient one and if you just look around there is evidence of the Viking past, of the past of maybe 5,000 years ago in the mound that we have, Crocknyerila, which it just shows it's it's very significant and very ancient site. Well, you mentioned about the landmark. It is a prominent feature of Jerby, but a little bit out of the way, but near the coast. And I suppose when I'm reading all the history about it here, it seemed, um, I suppose, to be a, a big part of the agricultural world in the, its very early days. Yes, very much so, because um, there's evidence of farming and growing cereals and keeping animals dating back to, to the Bronze Age. We know that there's always been farming, and when the farming was, was doing well, then the parish was doing well, and as soon as, as farming wasn't doing quite so well and there was increased mechanisation, then the parish started to decline, and this continued right till 19, the 1930s and the coming of uh, RAF uh, Jerby. Now, RAF Jerby, of course, the training camp, um, that's, there's a lot of history involved in that, and still a lot of people whose families were connected uh, with the RAF and Jerby during the wartime still find their way here, don't they? All round the year, people will come to visit the church. Many of them do have the connections, the RAF connection. At Remembrance Time, we often get uh, Polish people coming up to, to visit the war graves, which are a, a very 
very, in a very dramatic setting. The stories behind them are of great tragedy, of course, and, and also stories of miraculous escapes for, for people who may have crash-landed, for example, uh, the Sunderland that crash-landed, and the people did manage to escape. But sadly, because it was for training, then there were a lot of accidents. But after the RAF finished here, the army came in and did some training and stuff for a few years in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s. I mean, when that all stopped, did that see a further decline? I think so. It's, it's very difficult. The, the whole shift of the population was different because a lot of the people who came weren't necessarily from Jerby. It hasn't quite been the same. And a lot of people don't really spend a lot of time, apart from it being where they live, they don't probably uh, do very much in Jerby itself. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the, the clubs that were in the parish up to a few years ago and organisations have disappeared as well. We spoke about uh, a big part of the agricultural world, I think, 200 years ago when this particular church was built. But, I mean, it's interesting to read about the, the fishing side of things, particularly in Jerby. They said that... Um, in the guides that, of the time, uh, the Brown's Guide, and the only mention that Jerby ever had was of the quality of the fish, which were um, salted more or less as soon as they were caught and were a great delicacy. And and that, that's so, when there was cod off the coast. That's, that's right. Well, I, did, I heard that uh, you can still catch one or two cod off here, I've been told, and up till a few years ago, there were a few cod about. And that, now, of course, it's got no port or piers or nothing, so this was just people heading off the beach in the little boats? That's right, and we, we always think about peel fishing, but, of course, it, it was the staple of... of um, the, the spuds and herring was the staple in, in Jerby, as, as the same as it was in, in the rest of the island, you know, more so, probably. So they can come here, have a look and read of it, and it's particularly interesting to, to read about the history of this 200-year-old church as well and this uh, exhibition you've got on runs through to Sunday? Sun Sunday the 26th yes we finished that exhibition and then on the 2nd of July we have two weeks of a new adventure of the Jerby mice so uh, which the Jerby mice strike gold so which should be really really wonderful. Sandra Kerrison there telling me uh, a lot more into the deep history of Jerby and that fabulous exhibition that's there with its pictures and uh, all the writing about it, you know, over 200 years old and that history of the REF and uh, the fishing and the farming days. And, of course, that event uh, is open at daily 10 a.m. till 4 o'clock in the afternoon and uh, that finishes on Sunday the 26th of June. You ever been in it, Kerry? I've never been in it, no, but I've heard an awful lot about it. It's a beautiful building, isn't it? Yeah, you won't be able to quite see it from where you are, I'm afraid, will you? Not quite, but it's been having a bit of trouble with the erosion over the years. And, well, as uh, Sandra was saying there, they think it's not changed that much, but when you think uh, the, the, the sea is quite a, a long way from it yet, I think it's just obviously they're not built on foundations, are they? So they just keep an eye, but, you know, £100,000 to find to sort of get it back to to full kilter wow. but um you know and a sort of reduced service if i can use that pun uh, which is planned for the future of it but uh, i think it's just a, a marvelous certainly is a marvelous church a big one as well but uh, there we are there the story continues manx radio's countryside is brought to you by nfu mutual there we are 
knitting, of all things, churches and pigs, but uh, all countryside connected in various ways, uh, which uh, we're, we're trying to do, Kiri. And it's, it's great that some of the, the activities that people think, oh, indoor, everything's indoor with, with them sort of things, but a lot of it is connected with outdoor, and they're trying to get people outdoor, and certainly the case with the knitters, aren't they? Well, that's it. And with it being such an essential way of life, making jumpers and hats and, you know, keeping warm through the winters, it died off, but now it's certainly coming back, and the young people are, are really into the knitting. Yeah, they are. The uh, knitted underpants didn't catch on. <laughs> no, I couldn't imagine they'd be too comfortable. That's all for this week's countryside, though. We'll be back the same time next week with more. So, from me, Simon Clark, and me, Kerry Kermit. We'll see you then. Bye bye. Bye bye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all new Super Fast Plus broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds, and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.